and turn to Psalm 124 and give your attention to the reading of God's Word today. All right. As Jason said, it's Psalm 124. In the Pew Bible, I believe it's page 574. We're continuing in the Psalms of Ascent. When you're there, uh, go ahead and say, God is good. All right. Sounds like a lot of us are there. After the reading of God's word, I will say, this is the word, Lord, and you will respond with thanks be to God, because we are thankful that God's word has been given to us. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here as we continue in our series, Summer Playlist. And just as a way of preference, um, over the past couple of weeks, um, Pastor Tyler and then Parker, who's a board member here, have filled in. And I just want to take a moment just to thank them for their study and grateful for the word that they brought. So can we show them some love, man? It was so great. Absolutely. And it was so great for, for me just to be sitting under preaching and teaching and to see people um, develop in their gifts. And our kids uh, always asked, Dad, are you preaching this Sunday? And I said, no. And they said, you're not preaching. And then they said, you're going to get to sit with us. Right? And so it's a great break. And just to see people develop. And man, just the word that they brought as we're in our series summer playlist. And what we've been talking about is we're journeying through what's in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, which was sort of like the inspired hymn book for the people of Israel. And the Psalms of Ascent are particularly what we're looking at. It starts at Psalm 120 and goes to Psalm 134. And what the Psalms of Ascent were is what the people of Israel sang as they journeyed to Jerusalem multiple times a year to observe the feasts that God had given them. And so we, we've been able to look at this map. All of you type A people were like, we get to use our map in this sermon series in our Bible. This is incredible, right? And so the, the cool thing about this is if you lived up north in the northern part of the kingdom, Nazareth, also where Jesus was from, you journeyed to Jerusalem. And back then in ancient times, you always sort of had to follow a waterway um, because like bottled water wasn't around, okay? And so you would follow a waterway and they would go over to the River Jordan, which is monumental in the uh, history of the people of Israel. And then you would go down and you would go like down, down, down. You would go down to the Dead Sea, which is geographically the lowest point on earth. So, so the highest point on earth is Mount Everest, right? And then the lowest point on earth is the Dead Sea. And then right as you were still journeying and going to the very lowest point where you thought, it can't get any lower than this, you would turn and you would see the hills and mountains surrounding Jerusalem. And you would turn and make your way to Jerusalem and meet with God and observe these feasts and the reason why we are looking at these psalms, like, like, okay, that's cool, that's good history, but why does it matter in 2019? I got a mortgage, I got a marriage, I got all this stuff. Why does this matter? 
And we've said that, that the physical journey of the Psalms of Ascent are a picture of our spiritual journey with Christ. That, that our life is a journey with Jesus. And a lot of us can, can look back on our journey and say, man, I remember the Lord getting me through that season of life. But we're always, as Paul said in the book of Philippians, as Christians, we are journeying to the upward call of God found in Christ Jesus. And so we say here at Westside that it's about progress, not, not perfection. And, and the Psalms of Ascent are filled with emotions, and they're grieving, and they're worried, and they're anxious, and and Tyler talked about how they were excited to go and gather as the people of God in the temple. And we made the application as to that's still true for us today in 2019. What we're doing now as the people of God that we assemble together to worship God. And then Parker talked last week about how in this journey, there are no shortcuts and how we are so tempted to find the three things that will change our marriage or the two things that will completely change our financial situation, or oftentimes we want to go around this trial in our life, but actually God wants us to go through that because he's doing something inside of us. And, and this week when we look at Psalm 124, these psalms are, are building on one another. And um, I've, I've kind of prefaced and talked about many of you in a summer playlist have, have a song that is just like summertime. You can hear that song and go right back to that moment and remember where you were, what stage of life, and oftentimes road trips. And I talked about, you know, I grew up the youngest of four boys, and my dad was an evangelist, a traveling evangelist for a large part of my life. And he wasn't like one of those guys that was like, hey, send me your money. I'll give you holy water or something like that, okay? Um, anybody that called, my dad would go and preach there at the church. And, and oftentimes the scheduling was my dad would preach on a Sunday morning and the revival, like we even did tent revivals in August. Does anybody remember tent revivals back in the day, man? Oh, Lord, Right? You didn't even have to preach a sermon on hell. Like, I mean, you're, you think it's hot now, right? I mean, it was like, and so we would get into town most of the time on Saturday night late. My dad would, would begin the revival on Sunday morning, and it would go from Sunday to Wednesday. And, and we were at church, like, all the time, 24-7. Then we would pack up, and we would travel, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Oftentimes, we would try to loop back home, do a little bit of laundry, and then hit the road. I remember my dad telling a story one time. Um, my dad was, was just so, he was so authentic, and, and he never asked for money or anything like that. And oftentimes for us growing up, money was very tight. And when I was younger, um, mom would stay home with, with me, and one of my brothers would get to travel with my dad. And I remember my dad telling a story one time that they were traveling, and, and my brother Joe was with my dad, and, and they were on a road trip, a summer road trip. And dad was traveling to a church and preached that Sunday morning and then did the revival and ended it on Wednesday. And as, as he was out in the lobby on Wednesday at the end of the revival, a, a sweet dear lady came up and said, thank you so much for the word that you'd given today. Um, I, I have a prison ministry and we, we travel around to different jails and share the Lord with people. And she shook my dad's hand 
And my dad felt something in her hand and thought, man, that's just, what, you know, what a blessing. What a, what a great, gracious gift. And didn't pay any attention, put his hand in his pocket and got in the car and him and Joe hit the road. And they were traveling to the next stop and they were going to have to drive sort of all through the night. And they had a blowout on the car. And so the tire blew out, and they, luckily they were close enough to a gas station, walked over to the gas station. The guy said, I got the tire. I can do this. And it's going to be about $87, $88. And Dad was like, oh, great. And he reached in his pocket and remembered that the lady had given a gift. And, and he pulled it out, and it was a $100 bill. And Dad said, wow, uh, yeah, fix the tire. And, and Dad said, I'll never forget me and Joe sitting outside the gas station. It was hot, and we had just enough left over after taxes to get a cold soda and some ice cream, right? And they sat out as the tire got fixed. And I remember my dad saying, if it wasn't for Glinda, and she actually became dear friends of our family and became a lifetime friendship. And I remember my dad saying, man, if it wasn't for Glinda, we wouldn't have been able to get to the next stop. I mean, I mean, we would have had to have canceled. It would have just messed everything up if it wouldn't have been for Glinda. And if you look in Psalm 124, the first two verses, if it hadn't been for the Lord, if it hadn't been for God who was on our side. The people of Israel are traveling this long, dangerous journey. And they're also looking back on the entire story of what it is to be the people of God. They're not just looking back on this momentary journey as they're going to Jerusalem. They're looking back on the entire story of the Bible. If it hadn't been for the Lord and his covenant with Noah, if it hadn't been for the Lord and his covenant with Abraham, if it hadn't been for the Lord and the Exodus and him overpowering Pharaoh, if it hadn't have been for the Lord. And then look at the repetition. Would have swallowed us. Verse 4. Would have swept us. Verse 5. Would have the raging waters would have gone over us. At the beginning of the psalm in Psalm 124, it gives credit to David of being the author to Psalm 124. And there's not many of the psalm of the ascents that give a direct author to. And so David is doing something. David is king over Jerusalem, and David is teaching the people of Israel something. He is teaching them to retell their story, to never forget... Maybe this will help. This is the question. If it hadn't have been for Jesus, my life would be fill in the blank. If it hadn't have been for the Lord, my marriage would be fill in the blank. If it hadn't have been for Jesus, my life would be I mean, many of us could, could fill in that blank with a number of things. If it wasn't for Jesus, my life would be nothing because I'd be dead, right? Um, if it hadn't have been for the Lord, my life would be in shambles, everything. Do you know what concerns me, though? It's people who can say, if it wasn't for Jesus, my life would be the same. That's concerning. That's, that's scary, 
Because what David is teaching the people of Israel in Psalm 124 is to retell their story. The story of the people of Israel and then themselves as an individual. And and here's why I think this is so important. As they are journeying in this psalm of ascent, as they're going to Jerusalem, oftentimes we get so bogged down with how far we still have to go. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, I mean, I still, like, this has happened in my life, but I've still got this to go. I've still got this. And we're so focused on what we still have to do that oftentimes it overshadows what God has already done. And sometimes for us to continue in the journey and continue walking with Jesus, it's good to just sit down and evaluate and go, whew, I'm two steps away from stupid in my life. And the butter has slid off my biscuit. And if it hadn't have been for the Lord, this, this, and this. And I still have a lot of work to do. But praise God for what he's brought me through. I'm not yet who I'm supposed to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. And what David is doing is that he is teaching the people of Israel this. And I think this is why it's so important. Because when we go through moments of crisis in our life, whether it be marriage, financial, whatever, have your pick. In the moment, it is crisis. The volume is at 10. I got to call the pastor. I need to notify the community group. Put me on the prayer list. I got to do this. And then when we get through that season of life, we sort of forget about the urgency. We, We sort of forget about the dependency that we had on the Lord. Martin Luther commenting on this psalm said this, When we are in danger, our fear is without measure. But once the danger is past, we imagine it to have been less than what it actually was. You see, this is the delusion of Satan to diminish and obscure the very grace of God. We are taught in this psalm how to think of our past troubles and afflictions lest the sense and feeling of God's grace vanish from our minds. That is good. That is a word for us, not only for us as individuals, but also for us as a church. I mean, God has done some miraculous things over the past years here at Westside. And it's funny when I hear conversations sometimes. Like, I heard somebody say, um, I think we were a little down at Easter this year. Oh, from what, 20? Because when we're in the moment of crisis and the moment of dependency, and then God brings us through, our minds are so fleshly that we forget how amazing God's grace really is. And we see this all through Scripture. The Apostle Paul even does this. He takes an inventory of his life, and he looks back, and he says, For I am the least of the apostles... And I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Do you know what he's saying? As I look back upon my life and I realize all that God has carried me through 
It gives me hope to look forward that, yes, the journey is long. And, yes, I have a long way to go. And, yes, there is much that the Lord still needs to do in my life. But because I know that he's done it then, he will also do it in the future. And here's what I see. Just the thrust and the thesis of the text today is this. Pilgrims are grateful because God is faithful. I mean, that's, that's what I see when I look at Psalm 124. It's if you take the Lord out of the equation, then there's no way we could make the journey. There's no way that we would be the people of God. And all of these different scenarios would have wiped us out. But if it hadn't have been for the Lord, we are grateful. And so the thrust for us today is sort of to glance a little bit, to glance back in our journey, not to stare at it, not to look at it so long that it defines us and to live in the past, but rather to look back with gratitude and go, wow, look at all that God has done in our life. And we are grateful because God is faithful. But what, how has God specifically been faithful? Well, it, it tells us in the text. And so here's what we're going to look at. God is faithfully for us, God is faithfully with us, and God has faithfully freed us. Pilgrims are grateful because God is faithful. Look, the first thing, God is faithfully for us. The first two verses, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. And then, let Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. David is doing something here in this psalm. Um, a lot of commentators say that these two verses were very commonly used in the early church and for the people of Israel as a call to worship, right? So if you notice the order of our service, we don't start with this sentence. How y'all feeling? Is it, all right, this ain't Jimmy Fallon, okay? We don't care about that. We start our service with reading from God's word, revelation. God has spoken to us. And in light of that, we now lift our hearts up because God is not silent, but he has spoken. And what David, it, it's, it's a repetition. It's like the first time, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say. And it's like maybe one day Israel really didn't respond that well. And David was like, uh, I need you to say that again. See, it's a biblical thing whenever I do that, right? Let Israel now say again. And then look at this sentence. Do you notice something? It's a brash thing to say. If it had not been for the Lord, who was on our side? That's not a very 29 thing to say, right? I mean, in 2019, you're not supposed to say a sentence like that. Why? Because that, that draws a line in the sand. Israel is saying something, not just about God, but they're also saying that we know that God got us through this, but God is on our side. What, what does that mean? I think it's a great thing for us to really think about this because there's, there's two primary questions that every human being has to deal with. So maybe you're not a Christian in here today. You're sort of peeking over the fence. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We're going to do some weird stuff. Like we say that we eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. You'll learn about that. It's all good, okay? Right? But it doesn't matter who you are. You have to answer these two questions. 
The first one primarily is, is God real? Does God exist? Um, Everybody has to deal with that. And Parker sort of talked a little bit last week about how sometimes we've just accepted things and not really studied them for ourselves. And then when we get to a certain age in our life and our kids start asking us questions and we reach back for those little Sunday school answers, we realize, oh, I, I haven't tested that myself. What, what do I say? And everybody thinks that that's the biggie, right? Does God exist? And then once you prove that, then everything is all good and all arguments are shut down, right? But the answer to that question actually begs a much bigger question. It's not just, is God real? But there's another question that follows, and it's this. Is God good? <laughs> you see... If God is real, and God has proven himself to be real, then this should be the next question. Is this God good? That's pretty important when you think about that. See, what the Psalms do for us is they sort of take us out of our self-centeredness, and they make us think about deep, real questions. And most of the time, when I have a cup of coffee with someone, it's not the first question. Very, very rarely is it, well, Jason, I've invited you here today to have a cup of coffee because in my presuppositional apologetics and my study of the systematic theology of the hypostatic union, I have not found it to be true that God does coexist. It's never that. It's, um, I had this thing happen in my life. How could God let that happen? You say God's good? Why did God let that happen? That's always the question. You see, because once we answer these questions, then whatever comes at us, we have this foundation. But the psalm actually answers this question, is God good? And it's repeated three times in the psalm. Look at verse 1. If it had not been the Lord... And then again, verse 2, if it had not been the Lord, and then look at verse 6, blessed be the Lord, and then verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord. Notice that the word Lord is in all caps in your Bible. Do you have your Bible? You're looking at it, right? Don't trust me. Trust your Bible, okay? When it's in all caps, that's an editor's effort to show you that this is a certain name of God. And for the two of you who care, this is what it looks like in the original Hebrew. Yehovah. It's the name that God gave Moses in Exodus 3. When Moses said, "Um, you're going to do all this stuff, but who am I supposed to say sent me? And then for the very first time, God reveals his personal name. We really don't even know the official translation of it. And we also know that through scribes that this name was so holy that any time they went to write it, they took out certain letters and when they would write it, they would throw away that pen, they would ceremonially wash themselves, and then they would go into writing it. What does this name mean? This name is a covenant name. And a covenant is a promise. And the promise is not based upon you or I. The promise is based upon God Himself. 
And so Israel is saying, we know that God is on our side, not because of us, but because of God's covenant promises of himself. And so we have to ask this question in 2019 on this side of the cross. How do we answer that as Christians? How how do we answer that? And now I'm going to have to have you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Use your Bible. God forbid you're going to turn, you're going to use your Bible today in church. How crazy is that? You're going to turn pages. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 31. The Apostle Paul answers this question for us in light of the cross. How do we know that God is for us? How do we know this? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us and who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news for us. How do we know that God is good? And how do we know that God is for us? We look to Christ. We look to the cross. Paul answers that he gave us his own son. And that if he gave you his own son, why would he keep anything else from you? So listen, this is massively important for us to understand. Because when I say the sentence that God is for us, you automatically think that God is for whatever version of lifestyle that you're living now. Well, God's for us. Who can be against us? And it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Christ. Listen to this sentence. This is massively important. God being for us is not based on our goodness or our badness. God being for us is based on God's own faithfulness. That is the gospel message. I don't care how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. God being for you is not based on that. God being for us is based on God's own promises. On Himself. God is for God. And oftentimes people find that to be very offensive. Because you know what that means? It's not about you. 
It's not about you. It's about God displaying His glory in your life. And so what's the application? How does this really matter? Wow, Jason, that's a big theological sentence. That's great. But how do I bridge the application from theology to my life? It means this, that if the creator of the cosmos is for us, then we now as Christians don't have to live for approval. We live from God's approval. (laughs) Do you know what that means? Listen, you can go into work tomorrow. You can sit down at your desk or whatever you have to do. You can take a deep breath. You can go, no matter my performance today, God's meter of how much he loved me, how much he loves me, it doesn't change because of Christ. That now in my marriage, I don't have to sabotage these things so I can prove this, so I can earn this, or in relationships, or if somebody didn't invite me out to eat lunch or ask me to be a part of their Bible study, they hate me and nobody likes me anymore and I'm never coming back here. I can't believe that. That's all about you. And it's not about you. It's about Christ. And so the fact that God is for us and how grateful we are for that is not based upon us, but it is based upon the Lord and His faithfulness. That we are grateful that God is for us. The second thing is this. God is faithfully with us. God is faithfully with us. If you go to look in verse 3, something changes. All of a sudden, you have these very specific, we would have been swallowed alive. The anger of the Lord would have been kindled. The flood, the torment, all of these type of things would have happened. A lot of scholars believe that that David is actually talking about the exodus here. That that he's retelling Israel's story. And, And when you lay the story of the exodus over this, it... It all makes sense. But there was something profound about the Exodus. Remember when when Charlton Heston did his thing, let my people go and all that stuff, right? One of the things was is that God didn't promise to, to take them around stuff. But it was to go through it, like like the the sea, right? You're not gonna go around it, you're you're gonna go through it. But the promise was always this that I'll be with you then I'll be with you in this. I have a question. Is your prayer more to get around a trial or tribulation in your life? Or is your prayer more for God to be with you in the trial and tribulation? Because that's a profound difference. In 2019 and in Western America, we are all about our comfort. Amazon Prime is not fast enough for us, right? I mean, come on, you click order and you already check your email, right? Has it shipped yet, right? And we're always trying to organize comfort in our life. But rather, what God is saying is, I'm not going to take you out of this, but rather I'm going to be with you in this. And in Isaiah, God says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. 
We see this all through the scriptures. And that in Psalm 124, listen, they are grateful not because God has taken them out of something, but rather that God is with them in something. This verse is particularly special because it was one that that I often read to Miss Margaret whenever I would go over and visit and hang out, and it was one of her favorite verses. And we would read it and we would pray together. And towards the end of of Miss Margaret's journey, she would always say something, and I didn't really understand it until now. But whenever we would read this, and she would always say, I love that, it's one of my favorite verses, and she would say, I know that he's brought me through so much, and I know that he's with me now. When you think about that, what Miss Margaret was doing was she wasn't saying, I know that he's brought me through so much and that he will get me out, but that he's with me now. You see, oftentimes when I have conversations with people, People focus so much on what God is going to do that they completely ignore what God is currently doing. And so even when you hear a sermon like this, you could go, oh man, God is with me now. That's so great, but I know he's got something coming for me. What? Like, like even, even single people, right? Like, like if you're single, you're like, I'm, you know, I know Jesus, I'm content. You are the one for me. But I know you got somebody out there for me. Better bring them my way, right? Jesus, I know that you are enough and that fine man that you got coming my way, right? It's like, no, no, what, what are we focusing on here? Jesus, I know that all of this is coming in the future, but rather what Jesus is wanting to do is to see, for us to see what he's doing now, that his presence, his presence is doing something with us now, that God is faithfully for us, not based upon ourselves, but based upon his own goodness and kindness, and that God is faithfully with us. And it's not about what God will do. And there are great promises for that. But listen, what is God currently doing now in your life? Not the season when it's no more diapers or I'm close to retirement or all of this. And then all of this will get set up. But now, if the Lord had not been with us now, what's he doing now? And then the last thing is this. God has faithfully freed us faithfully freed us. Look at how the psalm changes in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's something that changes. Now when we look back to see what God has done and now when we know what God is currently doing, there's this burst of praise that happens. And the imagery is is a bird that's in a cage that's been caught in a snare. And I mean, mean, think about this. The Psalms are poetry. And so a bird's not meant to be caged, right? It has wings. It's It's meant to fly. And it's almost like as soon as that cage is opened, that bird flies out and then begins to sing of its freedom. And we see that that's how the people of Israel lived. 
That it wasn't this idea that, oh, I walked down the aisle and I said this prayer and now the Lord saved me, but now I'm still grumpy and I'm still mad. And if you ask me about it, I'm going to let you know, son. It's like now my whole life is defined by what God has done. You see, this is the difference in a biography and a testimony. In Revelation 12, it says that the people of God overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Testimony is a legal term. It means to testify to something that is true in the court of law. Like, I love biographies. I read biographies all the time. Reading one on William Tyndale right now. I just love a biography. But, but listen, when it comes to our life, a biography is all about you. That's what a biography is about. A testimony is all about Jesus. And there's a profound difference in them. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is, the life that I am living, is my life a biography or is my life a testimony? And notice the plurality of language in the psalm. Everything. Look at the pronouns. It's us, us, we, we. If the Lord had not been on our side, our help is in the name of the Lord. Us, us, us. It lets us know that our testimony is personal, but it's not private. And so it's not this idea that I'm going to live my life in seclusion. I'm not going to be a part of anything else, but rather that I give my testimony in a group of people that we share this with one another and encourage ourselves. And some of us, man, some of us have gone through so much cancer, divorce, all of these things, and there are people who think that they are alone in this journey. There are people who think that there's no way that I can enter into this next season of life. And what they need is not a biography of how awesome you are. What they need is to hear your testimony of how awesome Jesus is. To hear and to know that there is hope in light of this. Charles Spurgeon, in closing, said this about this text. This text ought to teach us to sing For if a bird gets out of a net, does it not sing? How glad it seems to be when once it flies away. Oh, you who have been delivered from sin and Satan, sing to the Lord. Praise and bless his name. Be as happy as possible. Be something more than even full of happiness and cheer. And how can that even be? Why? Be so full of it that it overflows and cheers others. Let us communicate our joy as far as we ever can. For we have escaped and we have escaped and we will praise and sing the blessed God who broke the snare and saved us from sin and death. Listen, I came to bring a message today and if I was in a different style church, y'all be talking back to me because that's fire. And what I need y'all to say today, is there anybody in here who's been saved from sin and death today? There anybody in here? Hey, listen, has there ever been anybody in here that if it hadn't have been for Jesus, your marriage would be in shambles? Anybody in here today want to be honest about it? Okay, awesome. Anybody in here today who's so grateful for what God has brought you through that no matter what comes your way, that I'm going to go through it because God is with me. This is the story that God is writing for us. And the difference is Jesus. It is not us. Do not leave here today and go, oh, God's for me. Great. 
and continue on your mosey little way. But rather when we look and say, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and seal it for thy courts above. Every time I wonder, he chases and chases and chases. And if it hadn't have been, I don't know where I would be today. So questions for the road today are this. Are you living for approval or from God's approval? Do you know a way to determine that? Do you get really defensive when you can't control a situation? Is it always, always a defense? That means you're fighting for something. Anytime our idols are threatened, we get very angry because we think our idols define us. But when you realize that the creator of the cosmos is satisfied with you because of what Christ has done, it's so freeing. The second question is this. Are you focusing more on what God is going to do rather than what he's wanting to do now? This season in my life, when this happens, when all of that, what's God doing now? That he's with us now. And then the last question is this. Are you a joyful Christian? For we of all people have much to sing about that he has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of light because of his beloved son. So I'm going to pray in just a moment. You can come forward and partake in communion. And listen, I don't want you to leave after communion and go to your car and go use the bathroom. That's not time for that. Because when you go back after communion, you lift your hands and you sing as a free bird that was snatched and in a snare and sin and death was approaching at my door. But now Jesus has freed me and now we sing differently. We sing as someone who is freed. Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful for your grace and your love and your kindness knowing that you are for us, not based on our goodness or our badness, but based upon your own faithfulness. God, that you're with us now, that you're doing something now, and that you freed us. God, I pray as we come to these tables and we pick up the body broken and the blood shed, and we go back and we sing, if it hadn't have been for Jesus my marriage, my kids, my life. Oh, if it hadn't have been for Jesus, that you make all the difference. We pray this in your holy, in your precious, in your beautiful name. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in the, bloody, in the body and the blood of Christ today?